This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate. Hi and welcome to this week's show of Property Matters. I'm Greg Watson and it's lovely having your company today. Lots happening with property news of course as there usually is and we're going to have a little bit of local news, a little bit of assorted national news and then look at the market and then maybe if we have time just to go on to a little bit of the bad landlords and bad tenants section of the show. So let's see how we go, we'll get into it. So just recently there was this article and stuff by Janine Rankin talking about the plans launched to turn Okautere into a structured neighbourhood. So the long fingers of urban development on the ridges between the gullies of Palmas North Okautere could soon be joined up into a cohesive suburb. The City Council was about to advertise proposed changes to its district plan to help create sections where more than a thousand houses of different sizes with a structure plan to guide what goes there. So the Planning and Strategy Committee Chairperson Alicia Rutherford said the proposal was a massive piece of work and it was exciting to see a proposal solution to a history of ad hoc development. In the article that was on staff, it actually shows an above angle aerial sort of photo as to uh, what's there and yes, it does look pretty disjointed. A report prepared by Principal Planner Michael Duendam excuse pronunciation, said the proposed plan change G aimed to help boost the supply of housing, provide a coordinated guide for private development. There was about 20 hectares of residentially zoned land still available and just to put that into context, it's about the size of 20 rugby fields. Although the pattern of gullies makes it somewhat challenging terrain. Duendum said the problems with Okautri included degradation of gullies and poor stormwater management, little variety in housing types, a lack of community and commercial services, and long dead-end streets and rights of way that did not link up. It was a highly car-dependent suburb. So a structure plan would help connect existing developments with new subdivisions, create a small neighbourhood centre with shops, and encourage areas of medium-density housing, particularly near the centre. And alongside the proposed plan change, they're preparing to run a process to allow part of Addistone Reserve to be developed for housing. That reserve is at the top of a gully that had been extensively replanted in natives by the Green Corridor's volunteers. A large area of flatland above that gully was little used, with part of it simply used for growing and mowing grass. So still plenty to, to do up there. Interesting to see how that goes. Now sections of a slightly different size now. You might remember the article that I bought to you reasonably recently that there was a section the size of a driveway for sale in Wellington. So it looks like a driveway, but in fact it is a whole section. And that section has been sold for $268,000. It's almost 200000 under its rateable value. And that was listed back in April. It's a 6.1 metre wide strip of land at 12 Benares Street, Candala, and it has an RV of 460. So it had been estimated between 415 and 500. But interestingly, the section was sold to someone who wants to keep the bush and trees there. So I do wonder if it happened to be purchased by a neighbour. 
we'd have to see. But I know when I looked at the original plans that uh, came with that, it would have been amazing to see a house uh, built on there. Now, out in Sanson is a property for sale, it's, and this article by Colleen Hawke says, Converted schoolhouse comes with a World War One memorial and its gateway. So that's the one thing the new buyer can't change about the Sanson property, and that's the gate. It's the town's war memorial for local people who died fighting in World War One. Now, this is under a heritage listing, and heritage listings don't always apply to the whole property, sometimes just one part, which is of special significance. And that is the case for this converted schoolhouse in Sanson and Manawatu. The entry to the property is the historic war memorial, and it has all the names of the local men uh, inscribed on the four large pillars between curved concrete walls. So the property at 2A Dundas Road is listed in Property Brokers, if you wanted to find your way to that, and... It is a deceased estate and it comprises the original schoolhouse which has been converted into a dwelling and outbuildings. Much of the 0.29 hectares remains in cracked and broken concrete, presumably a long forgotten playground. The agent says many people are already undertaking due diligence on the property and potentially it could be used for development. So it has to see where that goes. In the article they mention that Sanson is a fast-growing town with the expansion of nearby Ohakia Air Base and Air Force personnel relocating. The schoolhouse is 192 square metres, and it's in its near-original condition, and it has the classic high-sash windows. So now it has a large open-plan living space and kitchen, three bedrooms, bunk rooms and storage areas. The Sanson Club is part of the original school, or sorry, also part of the original school is next door where you can enjoy a beer and a game of pool. And for buyers of the young family, the replacement primary school is within walking distance. So Sanson, of course, only 15 minutes from Palmas North. That's going up for sale by tender in around a week's time on June the 20th, 2022. So if you want to live in a rural community and something that you can really add uh, some value and your own touch to with special significance, uh, what an interesting place to look at. So that could be, search for search it up on realestate.co.nz, I believe it's on there. Sometimes on the show we've talked about uh, a subdivision down south and, and this article says that Canterbury Town set to double in size after approval of controversial subdivisions. So this is the 1700 lot housing development and this is in the Selwyn district, and it would rezone 186 hectares of rural land outside Lincoln to residential land, nearly doubling its size. Rolleston Industrial Developments, owned by Carter's groups Philip and Tim Carter, first applied for a plan change to create a 2,000-lot subdivision in late 2020, and that number's been revised to 1,710 lots. So Independent Commissioner David Caldwell has now given the development a stamp of approval and has recommended the council approve the change. So have to see how it goes. Uh, the infrastructure there is is under pressure already, and this is going to double the size. So like the high school, for example, is full. A medical centre was is full as well, um, and it falls outside the urban development boundaries developed by the Greater Christchurch Partnership. So another controversial thing we've talked about before is it's on very productive farmland. So have to see where that one goes in terms of how that, uh, how that continues through. Now, Kapiti's urgent housing need prompts consultation on, on an affordable housing entity. So 
consultation on the Kapiti Coast District Council's proposal to help more people access affordable housing opened yesterday. They're going to, or they're proposing to establish an independent community land trust that could work with iwi partners and other organisations and housing providers to deliver affordable housing outcomes for Kapiti. So the council is responsible for the well-being of its people, and that's something that they are looking into to try and free up some extra space there. So moving right on, I'm just going to flick through my scores of paperwork here. Let's have a talk about the market for a minute. So a few articles here. I won't uh, go into huge detail, but the first one from Miriam Bell says, huge increase in the number of homes for sale, which you may have noticed here, particularly in Manawatu. The number of homes for sale nationwide has surged up 76.7% annually, and the average asking prices have eased a bit in May. So there's been... Areas like the Central North Island up 168%, Wairapa up 150%. I know that we were over 100%. I'll see if I can find it here in the article, which I can't right now. They don't mention it. But, yeah, certainly a lot more for sale. Now, these figures may seem hugely dramatic, which they usually do when they're used in newspaper headlines. But you have to remember there were very few homes on the market for sale previously. So CoreLogic has an article here uh, that says... Biggest quarterly house price fall in 12 years. Now, again, it's not actually that big, but it's the biggest. It makes for a good headline. CoreLogic Head of Research Nick Goodall explains how changing interest rates are going to cause financial stress and who is most at risk in this article. So the areas in the country, according to CoreLogic, that have the biggest boom are likely to have the biggest drops. The property research firm has released its latest house price index, which shows a nationwide fall in house values of 0.8% 0.8% in May, following a 0.8% fall in April. So a quarterly fall of 0.9% is the biggest three-month drop to the end of 2010. So you can see what I mean about the biggest quarterly house drop is actually not that dramatic. Uh, Wellington house prices, though, are now just 9.1% above where they were a year ago. So uh, in another article, which I've got here somewhere, they talk about how some of the gains in the last year will be clawed back a bit. And in fact, this article by Melanie Carroll on stuff said that some NZ homeowners may hit negative equity if house prices drop 15%. So again, sensational headlines that say may hit, not that they will hit, and if house prices drop. But anyway, let's uh, humour me for a minute. Let's have a look at this article. It says, owing more on your property than it's worth may become a reality for some homeowners next year if house prices fall as expected and mortgage rates keep rising. After years of soaring house prices, banks are now warning that house prices could fall up to 20% from their November peak by the end of the year. If property prices fall by 15% over this year, in 2023, people who bought a house at the peak of the national median price of just over a million dollars, with nothing more than a 10% deposit or $100,000, will have the potential loss in equity of $109,000 by the end of 2023, according to an analysis by CanStar. So there's a lot of ifs in there. And that would leave them with minus 1% in the equity of the property. So uh, again, really any change that's happening at the moment, uh, particularly uh, or 2 is a very good example where things will drop a little but then continue to go back up. Some places may drop a bit more, uh, but regionally here it's very strong. So again, it's reading between the headlines and understanding that um, 
Would some meat have negative equity after a year of ownership, owe more than what they have in the property? Um, Potentially, but uh, very unlikely. This article here by Susan Edmonds says mortgage applications plummet as buyers hang back. So house buyers are sitting on their hands, new data suggests, and that could be an indicator of more price weakness to come. House prices have been falling around the country in recent months, and as mentioned, they refer to the CoreLogic article that I mentioned that talks about the biggest quarterly house fall in 12 years. Auckland real estate agents Barfoot and Thompson said its median sales price of $1.125 million in May was down 1.4% on the month previous and 2% on the previous three-month average. And turnover is down significantly with almost 35% of fewer homes sold in May than in May 2021. And Peter Thompson, the managing director of Barfoot and Thompson, said vendors were accepting that if they wanted to sell, they must reappraise their price expectations. And he also said that buyers are realising prices are not falling off a cliff edge. So let's look at those couple of comments. We've noticed here in Manawatu the asking prices for properties for sale have dropped dropped back. But remember, those are more in line with the expectations of the vendor. Um, whereas for a long time, for the last few years, uh, it's been an incredible market for people putting high prices on and getting them. Or, or optimistic prices. That's not really happening now, so anybody who's put that high price on or optimistic price is now finding the property is sitting on the market and they may need to be more realistic. So ASB economist Mike Jones sort of summarises this by saying, in the boom, turnover was miles ahead of supply and that contributed to a tight market and pressure on prices and we are now seeing the flip side of that. Buyers aren't turning up to open homes and auctions. At the same time we have more new listings and the market isn't clearing as rapidly. The pressuring is leaking out and sellers who want to make a transaction are having to accept lower prices. That's sort of generally where we are here. Again, it is noticeable in one or two, but not a huge concern for, in, in my view because uh, there's so much happening in this area. Prices will continue to go up. Here's an article here by Susan Edmonds and stuff. It says, best time to buy a house, question mark, when no one else is, economist says. Makes sense, doesn't it? So house prices might have softened, but New Zealanders still think it's a bad time to buy, according to new ASB research. ASB's latest housing confidence survey for the first quarter of 2022 shows a net 11% of respondents think house prices will continue to rise over the coming year, down from a net 49% last quarter. The reading of zero would indicate that people were evenly divided on whether prices would increase. There are still people, more people thinking prices will increase uh, than, de- than uh, decrease. Or stay the same. So net 20% of people think it is a bad time to buy a house, down from 28% last quarter. But ASB senior economist Mike Jones was unsurprised and said sentiment could have dropped further. There are predictions that house prices could fall as much as 20% from their peaks once adjusted for inflation. We're concerned about house price overconfidence last year, but the abrupt turning of the housing cycle has put paid to all that. If anything, we're surprised sentiment hasn't dropped further. House prices have already fallen about 5% from their November peaks, and we think the slow leak of pressure out the housing market has another 12 months to run. I think slow leak is probably a, quite a good way of describing it in terms of it taking uh, just a long time to, to go down slowly until it starts to rise again. 
This article may be handy if you're in a, in a bigger city, but otherwise may not be. This is the article that says the big city suburbs that are the friendliest for first-time buyers in New Zealand. So Velocity Head of Valuations James Wilson has uh, provided some information and assessment around the housing market. He says recent years have been tough on aspiring homeowners with house prices skyrocketing and lending criteria getting tougher. That means that first home buyers who want to live in a big city often need to look past the coveted neighbourhoods of the moment and, up, and look at up and coming suburbs which offer similar amenities and a slightly more affordable price range. So what they've done is they haven't necessarily just looked at the lowest price in this. They've also looked at livability factors like public transport, amenities, a younger population and good employment levels. So where are the sweet spots according to this? Johnsonville in Wellington. So property manager Harrison Vaughan navigated his way through the horrific frenzy of Wellington's market last year to buy his first home in Johnsonville in northern Wellington and couldn't be happier with his purchase. Newlands, Tarbot and Johnsonville are the, often the suburbs of choice for people in their 20s looking to buy. It's interesting. Here's another one, Sprayden in Christchurch. So prices are more affordable than many of the other suburbs in uh, Christchurch and Sprayden. And you'd probably still pick something up there as a first home buyer that's at that lower end that you might better add some value to. And if you're in Auckland, they talk about Eden Terrace as being a good spot for uh, first home buyers. They do go on and justify it uh, with an example here. And, uh, and that's where it is possible to get into a property in there for under a million dollars, which I don't know how affordable that is for first home buyers. But nevertheless, that's the article. Another article by OneRoof.co.nz who has a number of property listings say that prices on about 5,000 listings have been slashed in the last three months as owners get more realistic about their property's worth in the current market so that people are generally meeting the market. You have to remember that in a market where it's rising or dropping, if you're buying and selling in the same market, really the, the price is relative. So you might sell for less and buy for less or sell for more and buy for more. So if people are buying and selling, they're prepared to be in the same market, they're prepared to be reasonable knowing that everybody is affected. The average uh, price drop across uh, One Roof's listings is 3.95% in three months ending to May. And so so the it appears that things are on on the change there. You also have people waiting to see if the market's going to continue downwards, of course, before buying. So that actually um, creates a situation where the market goes quite slow. So, and that's uh, they're tending to call that foop or the fear of overpaying. And the buyers, according to this article by Susan Edmonds, say they're worried by faster than expected house price falls. So New Zealand's housing market has softened faster than anyone expected, one economist says, and it could be the middle of next year before buyers shake off the fear of overpaying. Tony Alexander, who surveys licensed real estate agents throughout New Zealand, said it was noticeable that a fear of overpaying, or FOOP, had taken hold. 73% of agents were seeing it compared to 19% in October. That is, buyers worried about buying now or not choosing to buy now because they think they'll be able to get something cheaper later. So that's something which has happened as well. Finally, on the market, QV, that's quotable value. Uh, They have said that in an article here 
that any 2022 capital gains have largely been wiped out according to national averages. Now that's, again, it's not the end of the world unless you've purchased very recently indeed. So now across to our section that we feature every now and then called Bad Landlords, Bad Tenants, where we talk about examples of either or sometimes both. But today uh, the article from New Zealand Herald that we're going to talk about is Landlord to pay $6,000 after failing to remedy a significant health concern. So landlords beware. Two renters have been awarded thousands of dollars in compensation after they endured months of sewage leaks, bad odours and a negligent landlord who ignored their ongoing pleas to address the issues. The tenants took their case to the Tenancy Tribunal, arguing their landlord had failed to provide and maintain the Kelston Auckland home in a reasonable state of repair after toilet paper and faeces were continually excreted onto the exterior of the property. The pair stated that soon after they moved into the address on August 27th, 2021, sewage began coming out of the trap by the front door and continued to do so for a month. They informed the landlord of this and a plumber attended to the issue by putting tape on the trap, which then forced the sewage to leak out a different trap on the other side of the house. That's incredible. Yuck. Two weeks after the plumber's first visit, the tenant said the smell of sewage was even worse. They updated the landlord on the situation. The same plumber returned and put a pipe under the house and a new coupler on the outside leak. The repair lasted a week before the sewage started leaking again. The tenant said they would flush the toilet and toilet paper and faeces would come out on the other side of the house. The decision publicly released this week stated... According to the tenants, this happened consistently throughout the tenancy. When the tenants tried to get hold of the landlord again around October 2021, they were unable to reach them as the landlord's phone had been cut off. However, contractor trucks arrived at the property to dig up the lawn that same month and in November. The tribunal found this was presumably at the direction of the landlord and so the landlord must have been aware that the early repairs had failed. The tenants emailed the landlord multiple times in December to notify them of the ongoing sewage problem and they did not receive a response. The tenants stated that they put up the sewage problem and bad odours until they moved out as they were unable to reach the landlord again about it. And they moved out of the property in January 6th this year. What an incredibly horrible situation. The tribunal found the landlord failed to provide and maintain the property in a reasonable state of repair and ruled that the unlawful act was committed intentionally. It said the landlord did not remedy a significant health concern and the actions were clearly negligent at best, adding the property was unsanitary and unsafe for the tenants. The ruling says, Here the landlord did not ensure that the sewage problem was properly fixed and so demonstrated an ongoing failure to act to fix the issue of a period of at least three to four months. Both plumber visits appeared to have involved repairs which were essentially ineffectual in remedying the problem. The landlord would have been aware of this from ongoing emails in early two th- uh, December 2021 from the tenants about the continuing sewage leaks. The tenants also succeeded in their claim of unlawful entry after contractors undertook work at the property on multiple occasions without any notice being provided to the tenants. You wonder how landlords get away with this. Well, the thing is, I guess they don't in a way because a landlord was ordered to pay the tenants $3,750 in exemplary damages for failure to maintain the property, unlawful entry and failure to lodge the bond, and $2,800 in bond. Man, it's just incredible that a small proportion of landlords um, just just have absolutely no idea. It's just terrible. And 
And that leads to this this final article that says worries about landlords' reactions stymie investigations into thousands of potentially damp or mouldy homes. Thousands of potentially damp or mouldy homes went unchecked because government reporting processes couldn't guarantee anonymity in tenants' feared landlord retaliation. The Healthy Homes Initiative, HHI, identified 25,000 poor quality rentals over a period of nine years, often referring families to a GP when those homes exacerbated health conditions. Yet only 41 of those 25,000 homes were ever investigated by tenancy services to a strike rate of about 0.16%. And there's a simple reason for lack of follow-up. Tenants are too fearful to give the go-ahead. The landlord is allowed to ask and the Ministry will tell them who made the complaint, says housing researcher Neville Pearce, who sits on the Governance Board of Well Homes, a Wellington-based provider for the initiative. People are afraid, rightly in my opinion, that the landlord will take retaliatory action. It's a bit over-sensationalised, I've got to say, but the Ministry of Business, Innovation and Employment, which oversees tenancy services, says its tenancy compliance and investigations team works closely with the providers from the Healthy Homes Initiative. These providers, however, cannot make referrals without the consent of tenants, TCIT spokesperson Dan Hurley says. When consent isn't given, the provider can make an anonymised referral about the landlord and alleged breaches, which might later feed into the TCIT's teamwork, but won't necessarily result in a an investigation. Green MP Chloe Swarbrick said, The enforcement process was overly complicated and unwieldy, and renters are the ones failed by it. She says it's utterly appalling that we have houses in this country that we know are making people sick and we have not made the transformational changes to prevent that. Now the Tenancy Compliance and Investigation Team have been doing the rounds of property management companies, uh, which is good um, on, because it's a way of uh, getting compliance across many hundreds of properties all at once. But the private rentals... Uh, are the ones where they seem to be not really targeting. That is where people are doing things themselves. And those are often the ones, as like with the previous article, that are having the the big problems. And it's really really quite quite amazing. They give multiple examples in here. Um, And it goes on to say that Herlihy said that landlords who didn't comply with healthy home standards face penalties of up to $7,200 or, if it's a large-scale boarding house, $50,000. So really it's a case of tenants wanting to bring a case forwards to the Tenancy Compliance and Investigation Team, which I'd encourage anyone to do if they're in that situation of uh, being in a horrible, horrible home. However, as they pointed out, while there is such a housing shortage and a shortage of rentals, uh, many tenants are putting up with things that they shouldn't have to put up with, in my opinion, uh, just because they're scared that if they make a big fuss, uh, they will be uh, told or asked to move. Now, there is a counter to that argument, which is the changes to the Residential Tenancies Act reasonably recently, uh, which has meant that Landlords can only move tenants on for a few reasons and um, certainly if tenants complain about something and if you're a landlord and move them on as a result, you'd be up for um, really quite a large fine indeed. So please don't do that, landlords. Please look after your homes, get them healthy and safe to a level that you would be happy living in and in fact in some cases with the healthy homes a better level than what you'd be uh, happy living in. So thanks for listening. It's been lovely having your company here on Property Matters. You can find us 
here on MPR, Manawatu People's Radio, mpr.nz, or where all good podcasts are found. Have a great week. Talk again soon. If you're a fan of NPR, listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier. Just search for accessmedia.nz on the App Store or Google Play and download the app with the Kiwi Fruit logo. Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show.